Well, good evening, dear friends, and welcome to this Good Friday service designed for use within the home. Uh, Though this falls very short of the blessing of meeting in person, I do pray that it will be a blessing to you still. Uh, May your hearts be encouraged as we pray, as we read scripture, and as we sing. Tonight we will give attention to the event of the crucifixion of Christ as recorded in the Gospel of John, chapters 18 and 19. And so please open your Bibles to that text so that you can follow along with the readings. I will read a portion of John's Gospel, make some remarks, and then we will sing. And this we will do four times in this service. As usual, a link to the order of worship in digital form has been provided, and it can be found above the live stream at EmmausRBC.org backslash live. Let us bow now for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, help us to contemplate the death of Christ tonight. Help us to see why it was good that he suffered and died as he did. And here is one of the most difficult things for us to comprehend, how that which appears on the surface to only be evil can be used for good. And yet here in the death of Christ, we have the supreme demonstration of this power of yours, You are able, O God, to use that which is evil for good. Never has man done anything more vile than this than to crucify the Lord of glory. And yet here in this event, the greatest good was accomplished. And so give us eyes to see it, Lord. Help us to comprehend the goodness of the crucifixion of Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us turn our attention now to John chapter 18 and begin to read in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. 
The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Let's sing together, brothers and sisters. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. 
wounds I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus For my cleansing this I see Nothing but the blood of Jesus For my pardon this my plea Nothing but the blood of Jesus How precious is the flow That makes me white as snow No other fount I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus, not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, no other fount I know. The blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow No other fount I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus How precious is the flow That makes me white as snow No other fount I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus Friends, let us turn our attention now to John chapter 19, and we will read verses 1 through 16, after which I will make a few brief remarks about this text. John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and arrayed him in purple. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has 
the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Consider these things about the passage that we have just read. It is not uncommon when considering the event of the crucifixion of Jesus to fixate upon the physical abuse endured by our Lord. And it is understandable that we would do so. He endured much. He suffered greatly. This passage makes that very clear. He was flogged, which was a most terrible thing in and of itself. It means that he was whipped with cords of leather, which were embedded with pieces of bone or metal. Flogging or scourging would shred a man's back. It was a most brutal thing. And after being flogged and physically abused in other ways, Jesus was crucified. It has been rightly said that a more cruel and torturous form of death can hardly be imagined. Crucifixions were a brutal affair. Jesus certainly did suffer greatly in the flesh. But notice that in this passage, little is said of Jesus' physical suffering. What I mean is that John, along with the other gospel writers, do not spend much time elaborating upon the physical suffering endured by Christ. We, I think, in our modern time tend to elaborate greatly upon the physical torment endured, describing in great detail all that Christ experienced physically. But notice that John's emphasis is elsewhere. In verse 1, he simply says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. He assumes that his readers know what that is, but he does not dramatize the event. In verse 16, he says, So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Once more, he assumes his readers know of the horrors of crucifixion, but he does not dramatize the event. So where is John's emphasis? It is upon the people. It is upon their worldly and misconstrued views of Jesus. John emphasizes not the details of Jesus' physical suffering. He does not dramatize the flogging or the crucifixion, but instead he focuses attention upon the unbelievable wickedness of man's heart. They see Jesus as just a man, and therefore they respond to his claims with extreme brutality. The soldiers mocked him. After flogging him, they made a crown of thorns and placed it upon his head. They found a purple robe, one that would have been worn by a Roman officer or a high-ranking official, and they placed it upon Jesus. Then they came up to him. And so we are to imagine the soldiers approaching Jesus one by one as they would in a formal procession in order to pay homage to a king. And when they came to him, they each sarcastically declared, Hail, King of the Jews! And instead of kissing his cheek or presenting a gift as they would, to a king, they struck him with their hands. After this, Jesus was brought out again before the Jews. Pilate had hoped, I think, that after seeing Jesus bloodied and beaten, that the Jews would be satisfied. 
He said, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And as Jesus came out before the people, bloodied and beaten, arrayed in the garments of mockery, Pilate said, Behold the man. Behold the man, he said. He is just a man. That was Pilate's perspective. And he was a most pitiful man at this point, mocked and mistreated as he was. His hope was that the Jews would see it this way too, that they would come to see that this Jesus was no real threat to them nor to the Romans. He hoped that they would drop the charges, therefore. But the Jews were clearly threatened by Jesus. They had listened to his teachings and had witnessed his deeds. They knew his power, and so they, in fear and hatred, cried out all the more, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate, being frustrated, said something like this, You want him crucified? Do it yourselves, for I find no guilt in him. But of course they could not crucify him, only the Romans could. The Jews pressed further, saying, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. The charge that they brought against Jesus was the charge of blasphemy. Jesus, being a man, claimed to be from God, the Son of God, who proceeded from the Father, And for this he was deserving of death, according to the Jews. Pilate, upon hearing this, grew more afraid. It's hard to know why exactly, but most believe it was because of his religious background. The Romans did believe that the gods could come down from heaven and walk amongst men. And so he asked the question, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. It is not as if Jesus was completely opposed answering Pilate. But here he withheld an answer. Perhaps it was because he knew that Pilate would not understand the answer, should he give it. Were he to say, I am from above, or I am from heaven, or I am the Son of God, the superstitious Pilate would have certainly misinterpreted his statement. And so he remained silent. This agitated Pilate all the more. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus responded to this, saying, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. The authority that Pilate had as governor was given him by God. God was in control of all of this. Pilate's job as governor was to execute justice. His sin in condemning a righteous man would be great, but those who conspired against Jesus to kill him, namely the religious leaders of the Jews, had the greater sin. We're told that Pilate sought to release him from this time forward. But the Jews, seeing that Pilate was wavering, they turned up the heat They said, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And this was too much for Pilate to bear. He knew the Jewish people could and would make their way to Rome and turn Caesar against him. And so he conceded. He brought Jesus before them once again and said, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. This was a shocking thing for the Jews to say, especially given what we know to be true concerning this Jesus. He was and is their Messiah, the one promised and provided by God. And yet the Jewish leaders threw him away and pledged loyalty to Caesar instead. And so it is true that Jesus suffered physically, and that is very significant. 
But look at what John emphasizes. He draws our attention to the incredible darkness of the human heart. The soldiers mocked and beat Jesus mercilessly. Pilate, considering Jesus to be nothing more than a man, was willing to unjustly throw him to the dogs in order to benefit himself. And the Jews, more specifically the chief priests of the Jews, the religious elite, who, of all people, should have received Jesus and bowed to him as king, they rejected him. They were insistent that he must be crucified, and they would stop at nothing less. And so they pressed upon Pilate until it was done. This passage is filled with irony. Pilate presented Jesus to the Jews as their king, which he was. And yet they cried out, Away with him! Crucify him! We have no king but Caesar. See how terribly dark our hearts are, brothers and sisters, that we would be willing to crucify the Lord of glory. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's sing together once more. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son his treasure how great the pain of sealing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mother chosen one bring many sons to glory behold the man upon a sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me
Let us turn our attention now to John chapter 19, and we will read verses 16 through 27. 16, the last portion of that verse, through to the end of verse 27. John chapter 19. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. There are three things that I would like to draw your attention to in this passage. First of all, notice how concerned the chief priests of the Jews were to not have Jesus as their king. Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This inscription was written in three of the commonly used languages of that day, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. And so everyone who passed by would have been able to read the inscription, and many would pass by, given that it was near the Passover. Jerusalem would have been filled with crowds. Obviously, Pilate worded the charge in this way in order to stick it to the Jews who had pushed him around earlier in the day. But the Jews were not satisfied. They went to Pilate and asked for the sign to be amended to say this man said, I am king of the Jews. The leaders of the Jews wanted to clarify that Jesus was not their king, though he claimed to be. Again, there is irony here. A fight between a Roman governor and accusers of Jesus resulted in a most appropriate and true statement hanging over the head of Jesus at his crucifixion. For indeed, he was the king of the Jews, truly, though he was not recognized as such by many. Secondly, notice the emergence of a theme Although by the appearance of things, Jesus' life seemed to be spiraling out of control, all things were in fact going just as planned. In fact, this theme has already been present in this text that we have read, but here it is beginning to emerge and become even more clear to us. Here we read of what may seem to be a rather insignificant event. We are told that the four soldiers who nailed Jesus to the cross divided his garments amongst themselves. This was not an uncommon practice. The executioners would be allowed to keep for themselves the garments of the condemned as a bonus, if you will. And John tells us that this was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. 
John quotes from Psalm 22:18, which was written about a thousand years before the time of Christ. There we read, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is very significant. Though it appeared that Jesus' life was spiraling out of control, this reveals that things were in fact going just as planned. Even the seemingly random and uncontrollable actions of four Roman soldiers were done in fulfillment to ancient prophecy. God was clearly in control. Jesus was fulfilling his mission even as he was nailed to the cross. Thirdly, notice the intimacy that exists between Jesus and those who belong to him. The four soldiers who were busy plundering Jesus' possessions are contrasted in this passage with four women who stood gazing upon Jesus in sorrow. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there along with Mary's sister, whose name we do not know. Also, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. The world rejected Christ. Many of his disciples were nowhere to be found, but these four women stood near. And notice that Jesus, even in his hour of need, was concerned for these. He was concerned for Mary, his mother, that she would be cared for in her old age. Jesus, seeing the disciple whom he loved also standing nearby, which is undoubtedly a reference to John himself, the author of this gospel, said, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. It is worth noting that Jesus did not entrust his mother to his biological brothers. And why would that be? Well, at this point, they did not yet believe in him. And so Jesus gave higher priority to those who were in his spiritual family. He entrusted his own mother to John. Jesus, even in his agony, possessed a deep concern for those who belonged to him by faith. Brothers and sisters, let us sing yet again. It is finished, was his 
Jesus Christ, now in heaven, exalted high, hallelujah, what a Savior. And when He comes, our glorious King, all His ransomed Let us now turn our attention to this last section of reading from John chapter 19, verses 28 through 42. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight, So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in that place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. There are also three things that I would like to draw your attention to in this passage. First of all, notice that not all of the Jews rejected Jesus as king. In fact, there were even some prominent Jews who identified with Christ in his hour of need. We do not know much about Joseph of Arimathea. He was evidently a disciple of Christ, but up to this moment he had remained rather quiet about it. He was a wealthy man, and he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the high court of the Jews. Apparently, the events that transpired over the previous two days stirred him to do something bold. He identified with Jesus in his death. He asked Pilate for permission to take the body so that Christ might receive a proper burial. Nicodemus, we know, 
He is the one who came to Jesus at night, as recorded in John 3. Evidently, he too was believing in Christ, but secretly. Christ's death stirred him to do this good thing. He brought spices, a lot of spices. This Pharisee, who was once ashamed to openly confess Jesus, openly identified with Christ in his death. Secondly, notice that the theme introduced in the previous text continues to develop and intensify. Though the life of Christ seemed to be spiraling out of control from a human perspective, in reality the mission of God was being fulfilled. John draws attention to the fact that Christ's bones were not broken and that his side was pierced. And he says that these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. The fact that Christ's bones were not broken is to remind us of the Passover feast, which was celebrated by the Jews from the Exodus onward. Concerning the Passover lamb, the scriptures command that it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. That is Exodus 12:46. The Passover feast, as you know, pointed forward to the Christ. Jesus is the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and his bones were not broken. Furthermore, we might point to Psalm 34:20, which says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. This psalm finds its ultimate fulfillment in the crucifixion of the Christ, who alone is truly righteous. Concerning his pierced side, the Lord spoke through the prophet Zechariah, saying, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. This passage here in Zechariah 12.10 was fulfilled in the crucifixion of the Christ. And so, though by all appearance of things, Jesus' life was spiraling out of control, in fact, all was proceeding according to God's plan. Things that were completely outside of Jesus' control, the decision of the Roman soldiers to pierce his side and to refrain from breaking his legs, were done in fulfillment of the Scriptures. The crucifixion of Christ, we see, to quote Peter, was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Thirdly, Take special notice of Jesus' final words on the cross. It is finished, was the victor's cry. And this is why we call it Good Friday, friends. When we think upon the brutal treatment of our beloved Savior, when we think of how he was despised and rejected by men, and when we consider that it was for our sins and in our place that he endured the suffering, we are moved to sorrow. But when we consider the crucifixion of Christ from another perspective, seeing it as the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption, knowing that Christ went willingly to the cross in obedience to the Father and out of his love for us, and perceiving that in this moment of great suffering and apparent defeat, Christ got the victory, saying, it is finished, then we are able to call it good. It was ultimately good that Christ died as he did, for it was the will of God the Father. It was good that he died as he did, for this he did willingly, out of his love for us. It was good that Christ died as he did, for through the suffering of the cross, he is bringing many sons to glory. That is Hebrews 2.10. 
He's bringing you and I and all who believe upon him to glory. Friends, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is Romans 6.23. And the scriptures also say that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So where do you stand with God on this Good Friday? Are you in your sin and guilty before him? As you fix the eyes of your heart upon Christ crucified, I do pray that you would come to see your Savior there. I pray that you would come to him not as a defeated and demoralized man, but as the one who through suffering has conquered sin and death, who has made atonement for the sins of many. I pray that you would come to him as Lord and King, Redeemer, Savior, and Friend. I pray that you would do what the scriptures compel you to do, to call upon his name, to turn from your sins and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Call him Lord, and having done so in the heart, be baptized as an outward sign of what has been accomplished within you. In Christ, through faith in him, you are washed. You have died to your old self and are raised to newness of life. And so come to the waters of baptism, therefore, and say to the world that this Jesus, the one who was crucified in the place of me, is my Lord. Brothers and sisters, let's sing yet again. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged that flood lose all their guilty stains lose all their guilty stains lose all their guilty stains and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains dying thief rejoice to see that fountain in his day and there may I go by as he wash all my sins away wash all my sins away wash all my sins away As he washed all my sins away Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood Shall never lose its power Till all the ransomed church of God 
salvation to tell Oh, turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of earth grow strangely dim And the light of His glory and grace Oh, turn eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim and the light of his glory and grace Father in heaven we thank you for Christ crucified for we know that he is also risen In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, and the hope of life everlasting. In him we rejoice, and for him we give you thanks. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please do not forget to join us at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning for Sunday school and also at 10 a.m. for a live stream of our Resurrection Sunday service. Glad that you've joined us this evening. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.